Support for this episode comes from SAS. SAS is going all in on AI to help the world get more done with data. See for yourself in Las Vegas, April 16th to 19th at SAS Innovate, the data and AI experience for everyone and every role from top executives to data scientists, engineers, analysts, and more. I'll be there leading a panel discussion about the importance of responsible AI. It's just one of the many sessions that will highlight the massive potential of AI. Visit innovate.sas.com and use the code CARA to save $100 on registration. I'll see you there. Support for this episode comes from The Current. The Current podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at The Current current.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Hello. (laughs) I said do little. Oh, good God. Let me Come over here, Kara, and unwind that bow and let me get to know you. That's Scotland, that's, my friend. Yeah, that's my bad friend. All right. Connery. Tell me, how is life in, uh, I guess, uh, Victorian England? How, how is life there? What's going on? Well, I'm really settling into the UK lifestyle. Yesterday, I went to Starbucks, then to Zuma, an American take on sushi, and then watched Netflix last night. So, yeah, it's great to be in jolly old England. Yeah. No, but really, what are the differences? I feel as if London is New York and someone just a giant stepped on New York and spread it out over 80 miles instead of eight. I feel it's just, I think it's the geography that makes things different here. There's more green. Right. When it's sunny, you feel the sun more. I feel as if it's a little bit more cosmopolitan. You get people from a lot of different regions. Mm -hmm. And the thing I like about Europe, I've noticed when you meet people, they ask you where you're from. In America, they ask you what you do. Right. Uh, It feels like just a little bit more... I don't know what the word is, civil, so to speak. How are they taking to Scott Galloway? Oh, it was so nice. My wife hates it here. We rolled into a party last night and someone came up to me and was like, oh my God, are you Scott Galloway? (laughs) And my wife just literally turned around and walked out. She was like, that's it. We're moving to Bucharest. Um, she can't handle a lot it when of people recognize there. me. We have a lot of fans of Bucharest, in case you're interested. No, she gets angry. She'll like, just before I even say yes, I am, she'll be like, he's not that interesting. Oh, um, wow. Well, uh, but yeah, it's it's look, it's lovely here. My, little glimpse into privileged. the Galloway marriage, but go ahead, keep going. Go there ahead. we go, there we go. It's taken me some time to adapt to driving on the other side of the road. I was in the back seat of an Uber with oh. my son, oh. and I like to spit out the window and I accidentally spit on him. I just can't what? figure this shit out. <laughs> you know, I drove all through England on the wrong side of the road with a manual this summer, as I noted to you. I did rather well. A manual. I didn't tell anyone. Yeah, oh my I god, that is they that is literally there. that's the that's the most masculine thing I've heard anyone say in a while. Yeah, that's well, definitely a flex. I drove you drive in manual? London on a manual. Can you? Drive I learned on a manual. My mom taught Did me you? how to drive on a manual. Yeah, I love London. I'm so excited to come and stay with you for an extended period of time with the entire Swisher clan. I think we'll bring them all. I think we'll bring them. You'll all like the it. Whole game. You'll like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's I'm nice in San here. Francisco. Just so you know, but yeah, I've been here a day. I, ha- I have no idea what's going on. I just know I'm jet lagged and in a bad mood, and everyone's angry at me because I'm being such an asshole. Oh, we'll try to be liven up a little bit. Liven up. Yeah. You're in yeah, jolly you old Do London. Do you know it's me? Jolly. Have you met me? It's jolly. It's a jolly yeah. place. This jolly. Go see the crown jewels. That's what you need to do. Go take yourself down to the the castle and see the crown jewels. You'll feel good instantly. I don't know what else. That, you're doing I can't imagine go anything. Go on the eye. Go on the London eye. would make eye. me even angrier than having to go see the crown jewels. All right, all right. The London eye. That's what I'm gonna. No, I went. Uh, Madame's. I went to one of these Tony members clubs Tuss- last night. Oh, Maison Estelle. Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. That's always fun. No, but my go kids. Ahead. I'm doing that with my kids this weekend because I owe. I have a lot of catching up to do on the whole you dad do. thing. Indeed. Yeah, you um, do. It appears yeah. that they seem to be like tracking that. How much time oh. I actually spent with them. So we're going to. Mad- <laughs> I made the mistake of we can do anything this time. We can do anything this weekend. And they said Madame Tussauds, and I wanted to stick oh. a gun, which does not exist here in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, um, don't do that. Do you know one person just noted to me about. Uh, London and England is there's no long James Bond is no longer on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So just 
point of view. Oh, is he? he on his he majesty. He is on his majesty. Well, he's Secret dead. Service, he's huh? dead. He died in this movie, but okay. Oops, did I? Plot twist. Uh-oh. Plot spoiler. Um, it was well known. Uh, I, I am in San Francisco, which is lovely. I went to what Dreamforce. What are you doing in San Francisco? Are you out there for Dreamforce? I Salesforce? went to Dream. We we are. They're one of our sponsors. They liked me to visit their Dreamforce. Actually, it's cool. I met. I hang on. Hung out with uh, Stuart Butterfield, who started Slack. Uh, yeah. Hung out with my bro, my mom. Yeah. We all went to Do dinner. Swish? Uh, yeah, it was dope. yeah J Swish, and we had a great time. D Swish is in Pennsylvania and never leaves there. Anyway, so yeah, I love San Francisco. I'm going to Austin tomorrow to interview Hillary Clinton. Give me a question for her. Um, gosh, Hillary, I, I'm just curious how she. How does she continue to have an impact? Like, what is she? What is? What are her plans? Does she just want to? She's not a young woman, uh, but she's still pretty robust. What's her plan to have to continue to serve, or does Mm -hmm. she want to continue to serve? That would be what I would be interested in. That's a good question. I like. I've interviewed her many times. It's for the Texas Tribune Festival. Um, We're going to use some of it in my new podcast coming out on Monday too. Not. We're not going to put it out on Monday, but we have someone else that's really good to interview. I can't say. How's inflation over there? The Fed raised interest rates by 0.75% for the third time this year. That's the fifth raise. I'm just curious what they're talking about there, uh, what's going on. Now that we have an international flair to our show, um, Jerome Powell seems to be willing to risk a near-term recession if it stops long-term inflation. Many people don't agree with him. Uh, What what thinks you of the situation? Well, an observation I made, I went to this uh, party for some film festival thing last night, and and uh, I met several Americans who had, uh, I thought we were being so original. Um, uh, word is out. And uh, I met a lot of Americans who moved here. And this guy I met who works at JP Morgan said, well, if you want to experience something international or you have the opportunity to experience something international, you want a great city and you want English speaking and you want good schools. It's like you kind of have Singapore, Hong Kong, and London. And Hong Kong's off the table now. Yeah. Singapore's too so- far. In addition, if you want to talk about inflation, and this is related, uh, the pound, when I I got a mortgage, pre-approved for a mortgage to buy a home here, I think seven months, it was a buck 38. When I actually got the mortgage and converted, it was a buck 26, and I thought I was getting the deal of the century. I think it was, I think it's today, it's a dollar 14. So you're going to see, just as you've seen a lot of wealthy people migrate to uh, Florida from New York, you're going to see a lot of very wealthy people migrate from New York to London because everything here is 20% less expensive than it was 12 months ago. Oh, except energy prices are about to take go through the roof from what I understand. Yeah, but if you're, I mean, if you're wealthy, it's, I mean, energy prices really hit the lower and middle income yes. uh, classes. I was going to but go to quite frankly, if you're, if, you're, if you're a banker at Goldman or, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you're making millions of dollars, your energy, even, even if energy prices triple or quintuple, it's still a small part of your total income. Right. But so what it's I'm, good what to I think, go if you're rich to London, in other words. Well, the bottom line is, and I don't, th- I don't think this is going to be a secret to anyone, New York and London are the greatest cities in the world as long as you can lubricate them with millions of dollars, full stop. You either need to be very young and be able to dance in between the raindrops and get a lot of, a lot of psychic income from the incredible things the city offers, and it's worth living in a 300-square-foot apartment in Gowanus and commuting in, or... I mean, the ultimate luxury item is to have three kids in London or New York because it will you you have to be making a million dollars a year. Yeah, it is expensive. Uh, but but relatively speaking, five years ago London was more expensive than New York. Three years ago was the same. Now it is distinctly less expensive. So it ties into the inflation discussion with the dollar surge, with Jerome Powell raising interest rates, with the dollar's uh, or excuse me, with the U.S.'s uh, relative strength geopolitically, food independent, energy independent, you're going to see every uh, item in the store that's important. Forty-eight percent of the global GDP is uh, international trade. You're about to see, and I'm skipping to my prediction, but I have a bunch of them, so I'll say it right now because it's, it's right, related. You're about to see inflation come down as fast as it went up. I mean, the dollar surge is we are, an, we are an import economy. Uh, the Chinese, get this, have actually lowered interest rates. So we're raising interest rates. They're lowering them, which makes dollars massively attractive, which means in order to buy those dollars, the dollar's going to be able to command even more strength, which means every item uh, or 88% of the toys under the Christmas tree, which all happen to come from China, are about to be 20% less expensive. So, and then, and then uh, just to, roll in some geopolitical nuance or wrinkle here. I believe that you, the Ukrainian people 
and their military just striking courage, success, getting off their heels onto their toes. They're now on offense right now. I think the global markets are going to correctly or incorrectly perceive a possible end to the conflict. Energy prices are going to plummet. Um, the dollar strength, uh, it's just the its the perfect storm to see inflation oh, start to Scott obey. is in a positive mood. It's London. It's the gin speaking. Um, <laughs> I all had right, a gin so, drink last night. It's funny. Did you? Up. I thought you did. Of course you did. Anyway, today we'll talk about the Biden administration's full court press on crypto. Also, the FTC wants dirt on Amazon's Roomba deal. Ha ha. Uh, we'll hear from a listener who has to choose between his career and his clients. But first, hmm. uh, Elon Musk is not in the running for best boss ever in the months since Elon spoke. Twitter employees in June. Hundreds of employees have fled. Uh, he's not running the place, let's be fair. The company reportedly has lost 700 uh, employees as of this month. Workers have left site stress from the must deal and the loss of respect for leadership. So they're not thrilled with their CEO either. That, that's been well known. According to documents, Twitter has adjusted the way it categorizes attrition to track uh, Twitter employees, quote, leaving due to acquisition by Elon Musk. Huh, that's easy to blame him. I think they've got other issues there for many years. I, I gotta say, I find this unfair. So it'll be interesting if they discuss it in the court case. Obviously, we have a lot of big uh, coverage coming up for that. Um, it's gonna be like our, our, our Super Bowl, I think, in many ways. Any thoughts on this? You, we had talked about people leaving because of this. Yeah, he leaves. Uh, Twitter comes out of this deeply damaged. Um, and the person who's managed to escape scrutiny, who in my view is arguably the second worst tech CEO of the last decade, everyone talks about Musk and Paroxysm talking to it. The person who bears a lot of blame here is Jack Dorsey. He he was basically an absentee CEO. All this all this um, reporting's coming out that in meetings and on calls he wouldn't say a word. He was totally disengaged. And um, you have a company that didn't innovate, said it made itself really ripe for this kind of BS volatility. Brought in a CEO and then said that he thought that has made these crazy statements that he thought that Elon was the singular best solution and then went quiet on it. Didn't defend his employees. I know that was irritating to many people when he didn't defend uh, uh, the chief legal officer, the woman of color who was getting attacked. Um, they I were mean, the reality that. is when you decide that when you have the le this, this unbelievable, you know, king size, big gulp serving of arrogance, that you can run this company, this important company, whether it's a big company or not, it's an important company, while running another one where 93% of your wealth is and that's skyrocketing in value. And what do you know? This company has gone absolutely sideways for during its yeah. tenure and yeah. has opened itself up to this type of volatile, exogenous bullshit, yep. Uh, yep. which is yep. not in short supply with Mr. Musk. And this, this, the chancery court, there's no way, this is a, the chancellor, if you will, the, the head judge, if you will, who's presiding over this case, there's no way she's going to be able to ignore the fact that in addition to him signing a hermetically sealed agreement to buy these shares for $54.20 a share, that he's also damaged this thing, that this process that he initiated has brought tremendous economic harm to the company and these yeah. employees. I'm going to push back. I think this company has not been run well is something that Elon's correct about, right? And I think a lot of people feel that. I don't think this is a new, fresh idea. Um, I think that people using it as an excuse for a long time pain of being there and why even bother? Because they can see what's coming, you know, either that it's not going to be sold. If it is sold, that's problematic. If it's not sold, it's problematic. And they're sort of facing nothing. And they, even though we're sort of staring at, you know, layoffs and things like that, most of these people can get better jobs somewhere else and more stable jobs without the, the headache of this. I think it just calls into question what they're doing. And after a while, you're like, that's enough. You know, the kombucha is not that good kind of thing. I, but just the one more wrinkle here is I think a lot of them look at the company Look at the current environment. Look at the fact that the stock's at 44 bucks and it's probably worth less than 20. And there's a lot of moving parts here and this deal may or may not go through. They, I think a lot of them have, have exercised their options and said, I'm out, peace I'm out. out. I'm, I'm not done. gonna do any better. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of woes, Trump's legal woes are piling up as I noticed. New York Attorney General Letitia James announced a lawsuit against the former president as well as the Trump organization and three of his children. Let's not call them children. Let's call them adult children for fraud and false financial statements but the children. Um, James said Trump had, quote, falsely inflated his net 
net worth by billions of dollars. The AG seeks damages of $250 million. She really came to play and a range of restraints that would bar Trump and the Trump Organization requiring real estate or applying for loans in New York for five years. An appeals court ruled that Mar-a-Lago investigation can continue. That was in another ruling. Uh, This appeals court had two Trump people of the three without waiting for a special master. The special master, meanwhile, is smacking around Trump lawyers and the lawyer and the judge who had allowed the special master to be existing. Um, He spoke uh, about the investigation, nonetheless, with Sean Hannity this week. Here's what he said. Is there a process? What was your process to declassify? It doesn't have to be a process, as I understand it. You know, there's different people say different things. But as I understand it, there doesn't have to be. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it. By Um, thinking about it. He's uh, the Yoda of declassification. He's just literally just... I I, I was worried during this interview, because, of course, Sean Hannity, as usual, was the major suck-up of all time. Just literally, even informational stuff he couldn't get right, like could also get information out of him, but he didn't even do that. Molly Jungfast wrote in The Atlantic this week, Trump is never, ever playing three-dimensional chess. He's always just sticking pieces up his nose to see how they'll taste. Um, I just, I don't even know what to say here. This this day, legal day, was astonishing. It was, you know, he sucked up oxygen from the Republicans who were trying to win an election, a bunch of elections. He got himself into deep legal trouble. And these people are just, you know, and everyone's like, nothing's going to happen. I'm like, oh, besides going crazy, I'm not sure. I don't know. What do you think? Well, what everyone's missing is for the first time in 25 years, it's awesome to be Tiffany Trump. It's awesome (laughs) to be She she and Barron were not named. (laughs) I I just imagine her getting together for family dinner last night. And on the other side, the four favorite siblings be like, how do you like me now, bitches? How do you like me now? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's good to be Tiffany Trump. This is our conclusion from this. I really do Uh, want to talk to her now. But go ahead. Just a... Just to stir up our, our Twitter feed, I, yeah. there's something oh. about this AG Letitia James suit I don't like and I'm uncomfortable with. Okay. Uh, I think that um, it feels very political to me. And that is oh, I don't. wealthy people exaggerating the value of their assets to try and secure loans. If she's going to go after Trump, there's probably 100 other billionaires in New York she needs to go after. All right. Let me, let me yep. address that. It, most people do it 15, 20%. This was 500%. Right. This, this was a very different. Oh, over... Over, I mean, this, this is exactly the kind of case these prosecutors do. It's, it's an egregious abuse of this. And I, she, she actually addressed that very clearly. But go ahead. I also worry that it distracts from, I believe, uh, the mishandling of classified documents that may uh, unmask uh, agents of our security apparatus overseas, information on nuclear codes. I, I think that stuff is essentially is so reckless that it falls under the notion of of espionage, or I don't know yeah. if there's like second degree espionage. I don't know how the law works, and also um, inciting violence at the Capitol. I worry this. I worry this case is going to give the other side oh. ammunition to say these cases are politically motivated. I don't know. I don't know. I think you know. I'm using my mother as a barometer, but mm-hmm. she said, "What a crook!" Like she got oh, this she, right away. Yeah. Right away. Yeah. This one. Yeah. What a crook. They're going after his kids. I mean, oh, his made kids! A- Stop it! They're adult children who are officers of a company. I'm sorry, that is that's just crap. Anyway, I'll see, we'll see what happens. And speaking of uh, people getting getting some criticism, Chamath Palihapitiya, he's the king of spat, the spat king. He started the spat craze. Announced on Tuesday that his firm, Social Capital, will wind down two of the spats it's created. It's created a lot of them, return money to investors. Even as conservative social site Rumble is still in the game, the company has gone public after and began trading after a SPAC deal. Uh, nothing's going well for the Trump-backed true social, another area of weakness for Donald Trump of, of so many across his weak loser landscape. Digital World Acquisition, the SPAC company, the company made a deal with, has seen its stock drop as much as 30% over the last six days as true social threatens to sue the SEC for political bias after delaying uh, after laying a plan merger. I mean, it's what he does, of course. But in the broad scheme, the SPAC, his complete thing is completely over, correct or not? Well, the SPAC's been around for a while. And my guess is yeah. at some point, people, I mean, have, investors have a short memory. I mean, this, this mm-hmm. kind of reflects a few things. The first is the market has an unbelievable ability to produce products just on the spot when people have money. And when the investment committees and the operating committees, investment banks would say, this company is so far from profitability 
the financials here are so scary. We're not comfortable taking it public and trying to look at institutions that we work with. I mean, if think about it. WeWork got through their filters, but these companies wouldn't, these SPACs. And so this not. vehicle- Or for they're not ready. They're not all, they're not all problematic. They're just not ready. For example, but go ahead. Well, I think that's the same thing. Yeah. Um, so anyways, you take a company that has, you know, it's pre-revenue, is churning cash, but it's cool and it's different and, and kind of flies into the, or has the wind in its sails of a lot of retail investors think, I want to participate in the new economy and these big, these like big the updrafts. That's the first thing. That's the cloud covers, the demand of retail investors who want to participate in this new information economy and investment banks aren't comfortable taking these companies public. So enter the SPAC. And then you layer on top of that really charismatic, thoughtful people who have an open invitation to CNBC. So you put Richard Branson in an astronaut's uniform and you put Chamath on CNBC every 48 hours. And it felt like he was on every 48 hours. He's very articulate, he's very compelling. And you have the perfect storm of a vehicle that is essentially at the end of the day, Kara, been a vehicle for, for the transfer of wealth from retail investors to the promoters, specifically Chamath and Richard Branson. And if you look at Chamath's um, SPACs, Clover, um, Open Door, uh, Virgin Galactic and SoFi, they're down between 45 and 80%. I mean, across the board. Uh, so this isn't, this isn't an individual company thing. This is a structure. This is an asset too class early. that is- Baking that is too early. Baking too early, really, essentially. Or, or quite frankly, taking retail money without a lack of disclosure in companies that are just shitty companies. Who Do you remember six months ago, you pressed me for a company that would be a victim of the SPAC thing? It was six, seven mm -hmm. months ago. And you remember what mm -hmm. the company I cited was? Mm. I don't remember. You don't remember? No. I just said it. Virgin Galactic. Vir well, yeah. I think Virgin Galactic is yeah. going to zero. I have never seen a business more demand-constrained or supply-constrained. Yep. yep, agreed this with you. Is, I remember. Space is incredibly – this stuff is so hard and so expensive. In addition, the market for people who want to spend $400,000 to go twice as high as they were in a triple seven uh, just two weeks ago on their way to London is pretty limited. And so this is a shit, this is the, like the worst business in the world. Yeah, that is. Although I would push back, I'd say Open Door and so SoFi are very interesting companies, may not be worth a, being public yet, but certainly acquisition targets, both of those. Um, so some of them, you know what I mean? It's just where they are. I mean, Virgin Galactus is one that's so, is obvious. It's, it's a stunt company in a lot of ways, um, but it's definitely changed. Let's talk about Open <laughs> I mean, open, I think, I'm looking it up right now. It's now at, um, I'm sorry, it's 52 week highs, 25. It's trading right now at $3.19. And it's great in an up market, but if, if they have inventory. They will use an algorithm. It's a really great idea. They use an algorithm uh, that looks at all sorts of comparables and then says, all right, we think your house is worth X. We'll pay 0.9 or 0.92 X and you'll get a check in seven days. And a lot of people say, oh my gosh, for that efficiency, I'll take a small discount. And what we have seen over and over again is that uh, real estate is a local business and requires certain nuance from a buyer and a seller. And when real estate prices were skyrocketing, it wallpapered over, in my opinion, the inefficiency of an algorithm to, to assess price. When inventory builds at this company and you have prices decline, I think this thing is could and be- And the mortgage <sighs> issues, the mortgage issues right now. Could be wildly underwater. Uh, so. Uh, the market perceives the same thing. The stock's off 90%. And again, if you heard the, the, the promoters on CNBC, what this brings up, I think, is an interesting issue. And that is if you have over, call it $10 million or over a certain amount of stock, and you're on CNBC pumping it, should you be able to get off, like wipe off your makeup and call your broker and say, sell? I just did a really good job pumping this thing. And now I'm going to sell because what it ends, if you look at the sales of Virgin Galactic, you know, is it cool that the guy who's on CNBC talking about the brave new world of space tourism has basically sold his entire stake? Yeah. You know, it, yes. it just. That, should, those, that all is, you know, this is a get, get the money and run kind of thing in turn with some interesting ideas. You're right. It's taking advantage of lots of money around. Why don't I invest in this? You know, treasuries aren't giving me what I want. 
And I don't know, it's gambling. It was, it was always gambling in a lot of ways for most of these companies. Um, very innovative financial instrument in order to deal with unusual companies. But everyone, I remember, I was talking to someone, I can't remember who it was. Remember when Paul Ryan piled in? That was a while back. I was like, oh, like once the, once all of them, Did, you, were you in a spec or not in a spec? No. So I, I, I partnered with two friends who are the founders of hedge funds, and we decided we were going to do a SPAC, and I put together an operating committee of very credible operators. Goldman and Jeffries were going to take us out, and then we did one quick meeting, the three principals, before we press go, and it was going to cost us a couple million bucks for underwriter fees and legal fees. And we, and one of, the, one of my colleagues said, how many calls have you guys received from SPACs? Because we're all on boards and uh, private companies. I had received seven calls in the last month. Each of them had received between 12 and 15. And I'm like, do we really want to be on the other side of this? Right now, Kara, there are 700 SPACs that haven't de-SPAC'd that are looking for a target. So what happens is they overpay. Most shareholders in the SPAC are saying, there's no way I'm going along for this ride. I've been watching what's right. happening. Getting the pipes, et cetera, the extra money, which is called a but pipe. It, it, and I just want to go back because a pump and dump is a serious accusation. If you promote a stock, which CEOs do and investors do, whether it's long, and then you sell it at a high, you're entitled to do that. But when every company you've taken through a structure called a SPAC is off 40 to 80%, and you are out there, I mean, really pumping these things hard, at some point, should you be subject to the same type of lockup that a board of director is. Yeah. In other words, if you're on CNBC and you own more than 10% of this thing, if you're really out there trying to tell retail investors, this is a good company and you should buy stock, should you maybe be limited to not be able to sell yours for 90 yeah, you or have to. you days? have to own your book. No, it's true. So we'll see what happens here. I think there's gonna be a lot of pain with a lot of these companies for lots of reasons. They are, many of them are experimental companies in a weird way. Uh, at, at, but we'll, we're gonna be watching, especially the true social one, which looks like it's headed for disaster unless some rich person just decides to bail them out uh, to get in Trump's good graces. But I'm not sure that's wor worth as much, speaking of things that aren't worth as much anymore. Um, let's get to our first big story. It's been a fateful few weeks in the world of crypto, another area, Scott, that we've talked about a lot about. First, the Ethereum network completed its long-awaited system upgrade to proof-of-stake model. That should have had fans cheering, but instead the price of Ether fell by about 15%. The move could have uh, have regulatory implications. SEC Chair Gary Gensler hinted that proof-of-stake cryptocurrencies could be considered securities and not commodities. There's a push-pull over how they should be considered. Also, the Biden administration put out a framework for regulating crypto. Besides clamping down on fraud, the framework also encouraged the creation of a digital dollar backed by the Fed. Uh, not going anywhere, just ideas kind of thing. Uh, as you, they, they put out a lot of papers that are not very full of real information. But obviously, a well-regulated crypto space is valuable, but it's a whole lot more less exciting. Um, what, what do you think about what's happening now? The numbers are pretty, uh, like, Problematic. There's a lot of failures, like uh, Meta's Libra or Deem. Uh, Reddit's NFT project isn't booming. Uh, it refuses to call them NFTs. Apple and Google payment apps are focused on credit card steal, not crypto. What 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 has happened in this? Because people declare the end of crypto, and it never seems to come. It's an interesting technology. Obviously, blockchain is incredibly promising. But how do you look right now where it is and its young adult? You know, walking through the fire. Well, people people who are long crypto will say this is. 2000, where there's a shakeout that was overdue and some giants will emerge. Some, you know, the Amazons and, and Yahoo's or whoever will emerge from the fire. And it looks as if Bitcoin has hit sort of a floor. I don't know if it's 19 or $20,000. It bothers me that Bitcoin consumes the energy of Argentina and it's an artificially made construct. It's genius to try and limit the supply to create sort of um, scarcity credibility. But at the end of the day, it's like we've decided to have marginal, in my opinion, uh, uh, unneeded energy consumption of a small country. And it just, uh, we just don't yeah, need that's that right it, That's now. why they changed it. One of the reasons they changed it. And it's a better system for it. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it flips in terms of valuation that uh, Ether becomes more valuable than Bitcoin because it, it, the utility there around NFTs, you know, the majority of them are minted on Ether, but it looks as if there's Bitcoin and Ether and almost everything else is going away. And also I, I come back to the same 
my same boomer question. How has the blockchain changed your life other than a vehicle for speculation? That you know about, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. even in 98 and 99, we were getting stock quotes on Yahoo. We were getting email on Hotmail. We were buying CDs on Amazon. I mean, it was touching our lives. Well, if I, you want to make that comparison, the internet is blockchain and all the applications and uses on top of it are these cryptocurrencies, right? And so the the way the blockchain is being used could be very, you know, could there's all kinds of things that could happen. But I think the the fact that it stayed so speculative for so long and not useful is a problem. That's or you have utility in some fashion, except for speculation for rich people or or young people who just are gambling again. Yeah, it's um, by the way, I just looked up Clover Health, one of Chamath's specs. It's in twelve months, it's off seventy four percent. Yeah, look, the, the the bloom is off the rose on crypto. Uh, I'm willing to acknowledge, and there's so many smart people. There's so much human and financial capital that have gone into the space. It would be impossible for there not to be enduring innovation. But outside of the two major uh, assets in the asset class, uh, Bitcoin and ETH, you're just, I mean, it really is pure at this point, pure speculation. And I keep waiting for some sort of some sort of um, consumer service on the blockchain. What about the digital dollar? What about the official digital dollar? We spoke with Circle's Jeremy Lair at USD Coin idea. last February. He talked about interoperability and open standards versus the walled gardens of PayPal or Venmo. I mean, who are the winners and losers if there's a digital dollar? Obviously, credit card companies or who? It's a really interesting point. And anyone, so for example, when I bought a house here, I had to transfer dollars into dollars into pounds. And it's very inefficient. And a wire, I always thought you press a button and it happens that moment. No, it's like a day, two days. They, you know, there's all sorts of review and, and administrative complexity. So just in terms of remittance or transferring uh, assets cross border or getting the middlemen out of the way, whether it's, I don't, I don't know Venmo or PayPal, but they might actually benefit from a digital dollar. But I think it makes all sorts of sense. Uh, the dollar has been such an extraordinary weapon and force for the United States. I think it's still two-thirds of reserve currencies are USD, despite that we're only, what, a third of the economy. So the USD over-indexes from a, uh, from a power standpoint. And whenever we decide to have uh, sanctions, they have more teeth. Whenever we decide we're in trouble and we need to print more money, we can. There's always people who want our dollars. So the USD has been the most powerful aircraft squ- squadron or carrier force in history that's invisible. It's like kind of this invisible... Army. So to signal innovation and say we're going to make it digital, and you'll be you'll have more efficiency. You'll be able to send it overseas to your friends, whatever, whatever, and also create a mechanism such that American regulatory and enforcement uh, apparatus still have insight into flows. It's a great idea. I think it's yeah. super. Smart. And I think more more regulation is needed, obviously, and deciding what it is, whether it's securities. I, I suspect they're going to be made. The bitcoins and Ethereum will be considered securities and not commodities. I mean, there's a push pull in the government about this, um, and that they deserve a whole bunch of re- all the all the more less sketchy people in the industry want this and talked about it. And it's not in the, oh, please regulate me. It's the, this is is going to get out of hand until you actually put some rules to the road because it creates so much uncertainty. Um, And with money, there has to be regulation and very quickly. So it'll be interesting. And obviously cracking down on fraud. That's another big thing. If it feels like it's the Wild West, nobody's going to move there. You know, people don't, don't, people who are thrill seekers do. Um, But it's certainly... um, a problem. I still haven't found my Bitcoin now that it's down again. It's here in, somewhere here in San Francisco. I love that. I love Someday that. Someday I'll find it. It'll be fifty dollars again. Yeah, it'll be literally fifty dollars when I find it again. Um, all right, Scott. Let's go on a quick break. When we come back, the FTC wants Amazon to come clean about its Roomba deal. Oh my God, Evan, stop with the jokes, the cleaning jokes. We'll take a listener question about putting clients first or not. Support for Pivot comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software, including Jira, Confluence, and Trello, help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared, company-wide goals. 
Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Scott, we're back with our second big story. The FTC could jam the... Amazon room, but deal like a sock left on the floor. I'm just going to read them out loud. This week, the regulator requested more information from both Amazon and Roomba's parent company, iRobot, about their proposed $1.7 billion acquisition. Several advocacy groups have written to the FCC opposing the deal. They're worried that if Amazon hoovers up iRobot, it could sell Roombas at a loss and hurt the vacuum industry. The vacuum people are upset. The FTC also wants more information about Amazon's deal with One Medical. Uh, just to review, Amazon is not backing down. Many of the other tech companies are not buying big companies like this, but Amazon has bought MGM, Art19, mm-hmm. Podcasting, Wicker, Messaging, Strio AI, Autonomous Farming, and One Medical and iRobot. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've been rumored in, in electronic arts. They're being very aggressive. And I think uh, Andy Jassy in our recent interview with them didn't back off of that. Um, w- the FTC has not done anything in this area. One Medical obviously has some HIPAA baggage, but it didn't seem like Jassy was going to back off that at all in, in terms of that deal. He seemed very happy with that deal. Um, so what do you think? Well, in a lot of the spaces, and you've said this, a Roomba, I don't even know what that space is. Like, is it home appliances? What is it? It's a fair. Well, it's vacuuming. It vacuums. But that's a fairly competitive space. So, generally speaking, antitrust is supposed to ensure that people don't merge and create a lack of competition that. uh, Right. And not everybody wants a Roomba, by the way. I don't want to, I'd rather have a regular vacuum cleaner, but go ahead. But you want to avoid, uh, at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is protect consumers from market power that results in unearned margin. And it's hard. I'm not sure that the home appliance market, uh, my sense is it's fairly fragmented and fairly competitive. Uh, So I don't know. Now, could Amazon, does Amazon show a pattern of coming in and using predatory pricing to, to clean up the market? But I don't know if you can speculate on that. I think that most of these will go through. And also, I just think the FTC is outgunned. The problem is, I was thinking about our conversation from Friday about Adobe's acquisition of Figma. Um, I spoke to someone, including my partner at um, Property Media, who works in the, who's a professor of the arts in the Tisch School of the Creative Arts at NYU. And she said that Figma is just incredibly powerful. You know, Figma is what kind of new up and coming designers are using. It's more user friendly. You're just sort of up and running right away. And that if Adobe acquires it, kind of it's not game over, but Adobe really controls the creative space. And the hard part is it's hard to go after Adobe when the big guys are doing all this stuff and getting away with it. That's the problem with antitrust when you don't go after the, the biggest, most powerful players is I think it's kind of hard to be heavy handed with the the medium or the, you know, it's like, how do you go after- That's it. It's a legal case. All of these are losers. This MGM, Hollywood's very, um, uh, is very uh, competitive. Podcasting, yeah. very competitive. Absolutely. Messaging, very competitive. Autonomous yeah. farming, very small. You know, One Medical, very competitive. Vacuums, yeah. lots of vacuum companies. Agreed. I mean, and Agreed. not everybody wants what iRobot is selling, by the way. So I think that's the problem. Um and also, Amazon is just being aggressive with the FTC. It's um, uh, top exa- Amazon execs, including Jeff Bezos and Andy Jassy, were subpoenaed earlier this year as part of an investigation into allegedly deceptive practices around Prime membership. Now, that's a fertile area to look at, obviously, and also the marketplace. Amazon appealed the subpoena, calling it, quote, needlessly burdensome, and the FTC rejected that appeal and said instead, let's set a date, bring your lawyer. They just, they're, they're being very aggressive in picking areas that are quite competitive, well, I think if it was going to be a case, they would say that you've, be, you've used AWS to subsidize uh, non-unrelated uh, industries, and as a result, they've created predatory pricing across your e-commerce platform, which has made it very difficult for anyone else in e-commerce to compete. And when you it's don't platform, have growth, yeah. and you, when you don't have growth in e-commerce, you get hammered in the in the market, which creates 
uh, an inability to compete in terms of capital and all, you know, I, I, that would be where I would focus. Uh, but buying a automatic, you know, buying a robotic vacuum cleaner, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure that's they, worth God, Amazon is so canny here. Um, speaking of Lena Khan her, and her D, uh, DOJ counterpart, Jonathan Cantor, testified for Congress this week. Pretty rough going. Khan in particular was grilled by Senate Republicans who asked about partisanship and the low morale at the FTC. Khan pushed back, requested more resources from Congress. She's absolutely right about this. Khan was, she, they didn't get it in one of the bills that didn't pass. I can't remember which one. Khan was also asked about the Amazon One medical deal by Senator Josh Hawley. Let's listen to that exchange. Let me just ask you, still on this topic, what concerns we should be looking at involving data privacy uh, that uh, might come about from either this acquisition or more broadly about mass consolidation, particularly when you have technology companies that are purchasing healthcare companies? I think especially when you have firms that are integrated across multiple lines of business, there are a whole set of conflicts of interest that can emerge. Um, oftentimes, there aren't any limitations on how data being collected in one line of business is being used in other lines of business. And so we've heard concerns both from uh, consumers, but also from market participants about just the deep conflicts and asymmetries that that can create. Well, they're kind of, Kali is so smart. He's zeroed in on exactly the problem. I mean, privacy. If he stops yelling about censorship, he's correct here. You know, it's a very tough time for Lena Khan. She was supposed to come in on a big grand horse and slay the dragons, and she's she's not doing so. Well, you can list, you, you can list her accomplishments on zero hands right now. She's got she's got to really move forward and 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 do something more aggressive. The Republicans were very uh, aggressive on the Musk thing last week. They want FTC to preserve any records related to the Musk Twitter bid. And Khan said she was disturbed by Mudge's claims that uh, Twitter misled the FTC. But how does she get out of this? She's got to have a win, some win somewhere, That's anywhere. Exactly Same right. thing with Cantor. She's either got to break something up or block something. She she is so she has such a incredible, beautiful mind around this stuff. She's able to articulate the problems. Uh, her, her and Tim Wu, in my opinion, are the two clearest blue flame thinkers around competitiveness and predatory pricing. And they, they've they been given the job. It's like, well, okay, you know, wh now what? And Can't so far, yeah. so far it's been a big thud. Um, everything continues to go through. You could argue there's been a chill and probably Google and um, Meta, are not being as aggressive, but Amazon appears to be like, well, no, they're kind of poking the bear. They're like, no, we're not, we're not worried about FTC or DOJ review. So she's well, you're not seeing it, a Pinterest buy, or what, what would what would really be poking too hard? I'm trying to think, what could they buy? Well, FedEx. I don't know. I, I've always FedEx. said Apple or Amazon's going to make a bid for HBO. Yeah, um, FedEx, uh, FedEx might be a problem. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, Google acquiring Pinterest would uh, absolutely get get a review and be challenged. Yeah, that went, sure. But although, do you remember when I asked uh, uh, Sundar about that? He was very quiet. He yeah. said he he didn't say a word. It's obviously yeah. in their in their area. In their, in um, their Twitter, sites, he was yeah. like, "No, thank you very much." But the uh, but Pinterest certainly is in everybody's radar in that regard because it's so inexpensive. Speaking of, I mean, the only thing data. so far, the only thing that's come out of Lena's administration and the FTC, and I'm a fan of hers, is that mm -hmm. the morale is low. Me too. So, uh, I mean, it, Tim and Lena are these incredible thought leaders. And the question is, all right, is that all? Do something. Are, are they just yeah. thought leaders or are they actual administrators and leaders that can rally an organization and navigate what I'm sure is a massively complex political environment to get things done? She's got to make a big move and make a point. And I think may have be too late. It should have been made a year ago. Um, you know, just waiting and waiting and figuring is not really the thing to do here. And I, I agree, you shouldn't just litigate unnecessarily, but there was there's plenty of fodder for her and discovery and getting the case going and, and showing who's boss. I think she's really blown an opportunity here. We'll see how it goes. I, again, Holly very much articulated the problem right there in healthcare, information, how much information these companies will have. And if they get into healthcare in a big way, watch out, I think. Anyway, uh, Scott, let's pivot to a listener question. You've got, you've got, I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. This question came in via email. I'll read it. Hi, Karen Scott. I'm a 52-year-old founder and CEO of the company here in London. Oh, you can have a friend, uh, a new friend. My company hasn't done well as I would have liked. We're facing some unfun months ahead and I'm considering a change. However, many of my clients are friends of mine and they wouldn't be able to find another firm to provide the services we offer. Hmm, I wonder what 
provides. My question for both of you as serial entrepreneurs is how do you handle this situation? I don't want to alienate my friends, but I'm concerned that my career is stagnating and there are more lucrative opportunities out there. Thanks in advance. And I hope uh, to run into Scott in London. I will send you his address, sir. Um, the listener yeah. asks us to withhold their name. Uh, Scott Galloway, London, England, um, near Buckingham Palace. Uh, I don't know where you live, actually. Um, so what do you think about this? I say get out. I always get out. I always leave. I don't know. I just feel like if I'm not happy, uh, I'm not doing unfun. If something's unfun, I undo it and I go. Um, you can't be working because clients are friends of yours and they depend on you. They can always find someone else. By, by the way, one thing, get out when it's unfun too. You're not, as my grandmother used to say, the graveyards are full of indispensable people. Um, so you're not indispensable. So what do you think? You're exactly right. They say there's a reason why pilots tell you with a, if there's a loss of oxygen or pressurization to affix your own oxygen mask first. You have to take care of yourself and your family. And you're not going to be able to take care of your clients if you're unhappy. This is an easy one. You figure out a transition strategy. You say to your clients who are your friends, and you can be honest with your friends, I'm not happy. I don't like this. It's not going as well as I'd hoped. This is how I'm going to transition um, my services to another firm. You might be even able to sell that client base. And you're responsible and you're nice. It's like leaving a company. When you leave a company, you make sure that you exit gracefully. You don't, you don't give them two weeks notice and bail and leave them hanging. You transition your clients. You transition your responsibilities. You upskill people. You identify people who could potentially take over your role. And you leave the place and your role, hopefully as good as it was when you were there. He can do absolutely do the same thing here, but his obligation is to the well-being, his own mental health, and the economic security of his family. Agreed. And his friends Scott will understand. Yeah. We like we, we tap out a lot, don't we? I mean, not, over the, our careers, we've changed for various reasons, but I think we do it because we don't like what we're doing and see other opportunities most of the time. Yeah, I've, I've done it because I've been beamed in the fucking face and I have to find something else to do. <laughs> Yours has been a function of opportunity. Mine's been a function of the world literally smacking me and saying, no, you should try something Who's else. Who's living in London? Not Kara Swisher. No, not Kara Swisher. I'm just I saying. I took you Leia do. and Gangster to Regents Day. It's, it's so amazing. It's off leash here. It's off oh, leash. They terrorize must... everybody. It's oh, hilarious. Oh, great. Fantastic. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Off leash. Wow. Watch for the so old nice ladies here. wandering around with that giant dog of yours. Oh my God, your dog off leash? That sounds very terrifying. Just let me know when that's happening. No, they're, they're actually pretty nice. People, they are, people I know, are, I know. Um, so anyway, a listener who does, who's withholding their name, but is the, uh, lives in London, uh, we say, go. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Don't worry so much. People are so, you know, I have to say, let me just add one more thing here. Young people say this to me all the time. Like, What's that? I can't do it because my career, because of this. Get off the hamster wheel if you don't like what you're doing. I say this to everybody. Get off the hamster wheel. Absolutely. So, no question. Yeah, with young people, it's different. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I'm. The first thing stay is stay in your lane. You're telling them, but go ahead. Go well, ahead. no, no, no. Stay in your lane is totally different. Stay in your lane is not. Don't do things or uh, don't talk about stuff you shouldn't. I was miserable at Morgan Stanley, like within three weeks. Mm -hmm. But but someone said to me, "It's an amazing platform. You're young. You have no credibility. Stay the full two years." Oh, okay. With young people, it's different. You're looking to put. You're looking. You're looking to build credibility, and also young people think, "Oh, wait, this isn't as fun as college football, oh, and okay. and my fraternity. I must not love it." No, it's called work. It takes some time, and also, there's a certain amount of shitty work just involved in getting started. And so, my advice to a lot of people, I'm just, I just want to make sure a bunch of young people don't run out quit their jobs. You do not want to have a resume that looks like a tapestry coming out of your twenties. Until you have the credibility of a Kara Swisher who can leave and has five other entities that want you to work no, for them. I used to leave when I was young. I'm going to push. But go ahead. You keep going. Keep going. Well, I'm, I'm going to disagree and compliment you. I think you're more talented than most people, Kara. Oh, and yeah. I think uh, Scott that. Galloway at Morgan Stanley at 23 that has no experience, not a hell of a lot of talent, and has an opportunity to stick somewhere two years so I'm more attractive to business schools or that next thing. Unless you're, you're like, unless you have another job, you want to be really thoughtful before you leave at a minimum. You want to talk to some lame boomers such as myself and just get the benefit of their advice because you do not, most people, most people have a more difficult time getting a job when uh, people show up and they've had three jobs in five years. I don't hire people who've had three jobs in five hmm. years. I go, what happened? What went wrong? Oh. And so uh, as a young person, you want to find a place where you're learning, uh, hopefully a good, a good brand a good platform that builds credibility and currency because very few people other than Kara Swisher know what they want to do in their early 20s. I thought I wanted to be an investment banker. That was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I was terrible at it and I hated it. 
And that the majority of people don't That is know. a fair point about not knowing what you want. I, though, think that I'm a life is too short person. And I, when I was very young, I left things constantly. I, I, I you know, I, I wasn't incredibly careless with church. I kind of was. I mean, I left that John McLaughlin <laughs> thing when he was sexually harassing. I love I how you caught yourself. I wasn't incredible. Actually, I kind of was. <laughs> I kind of I was. Kind of was. <laughs> As I reflect on it, I kind of was incredible. <laughs> there was almost a moment of like humility and you checked yourself. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Uh, humility almost creeped in. I say go and you say stay for yeah. young people. I say get no, your no, no. You you know need credibility. Go it's for called work for a reason. Go Don't for. call daddy first before you make any big moves and leave a good firm, especially if it's a good platform. I say this to my kids. I'm like, quit school? Right. Good good decision. Oh, I'm God. always <laughs> a friend, a kid who used to work for me and broke my heart and left went to Google. It's like, I hate it here. I'm just managing keywords for Chili's. And I'm like, you're at Google, stay there. Just oh, stay there. Stay there no, until you're there at least two there. years. Don't listen to Scott. Go to London and stay at his house. This is a good question, London man. Uh, that might have been Prince Charles writing us. What do you think? That's right. Hello. <laughs> Probably was Prince Charles. <gasps> yeah. I oh, bet it was. Working. He has, you know, unfun months. He's considering a change. Uh, he can't. He has many clients. Anyway, if Chuck. stick with the king thing. In that regard, you're the king. Stay with the king. All right. All right. They don't prediction? like it. I don't like it. They don't like it. No, in a minute. If you've got a question mm. of your own you'd like okay. answered, send it our way. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. All right, Scott, one more quick break, and then you can make your prediction. Support for this show comes from Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for freelance services. In the fast-paced world of business, every decision counts. And when it comes to hiring, there's no room for guesswork. That's why Fiverr has developed solutions for businesses to make outsourcing projects simple, quick, and compliant. You can gain access to curated talent through Fiverr Pro's catalog of top freelancers, organized by skill and experience. Streamline your projects with a user-friendly dashboard, where you can track progress and collaborate with your team. And for anyone needing the highest level of white-glove service, Fiverr Pro's project partners can manage multiple freelancer engagements for you. Project partners will outline requirements, assemble a roster of freelancers, and manage a schedule to ensure your deliverables are completed on time. Ready to scale smarter? Visit pro.fiverr.com to sign up and use code FOX for 15% off any service. That's pro.fiverr.com and use code VOX. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, Scott, let's hear your predictions. Although I'm going to go first because one prediction I got right. Florida's okay. Attorney General has asked the Supreme Court to weigh in on the Florida and Texas laws governing free speech on social media. Here's what I said earlier this week. The problem is this has gone down a free speech path when it has nothing to do with free speech. And I agree, though, these companies have free speech, too. And we'll see how it plays out. But it's got to move to the Supreme Court. I don't see how any yeah, other way that this way. is not going to be. The Supreme Court hasn't agreed to take up the case, but we'll see. So I think we were correct, both of us, because um, uh, I'm being generous here. Uh, go ahead. What is your prediction? So I'm after 24 hours, I've come to the snap judgment that people underestimate just how incredibly powerful and important uh, the queen was to the monarchy. And if you look at the pattern of all monarchies pretty much over the last century, they've primarily just petered out. And uh, the whole construct kind of doesn't make sense. 
And I don't think, I think, the, I think the same is true here, but it'll be incremental. And I think that incremental effect of the monarchy starting to lose its power here, I think uh, Northern Ireland is going to potentially talk about reunifying with Ireland. And I think Scotland, that's, who's always justifiably <laughs> been a little resentful of, of being ruled by, by the United Kingdom or Yeah, they're going to uh, William Wallace England, it, right? I, but it'll be nuanced. I think my, this is my prediction. I think Scotland is going to um, engage in a bid or an effort to try and rejoin the EU. I think that's their excuse. Oh. It'll be a twofer. They'll I get like they'll get to say we're not stupid. I mean, if you look at the Leave, the Leave thing was basically pushed over the uh, edge by kind of rural uh, Englanders, or the uh, basically London wanted to stay. People in the in the suburbs and the rural parts wanted to leave. And I think that the twofer for Scotland will be they want to be part of the EU and they want to be away from England. And if you look at the Commonwealth, it's everyone from, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, but it's also the Virgin Islands, Antigua, Jamaica. All of these places have the queen on their coins and their currency. I don't think they're going to want Charles. I think they'll use this as an excuse and they'll be polite about it. They'll say, we still are big fans of the queen, but we're going to use this as kind of the the, the final... The final step in our independence. Uh, but I think you're going to see the Commonwealth, if you will, or the monarchy lose substantial territories. And the most interesting one, in my view, will be Scotland will will engage in an effort to rejoin the EU. But Scotland would be a big problem. Now, and Scotland's big because they're pretty economically tied to each other. Northern Ireland isn't that big. That would be very symbolic. Um, reunification there, that would probably, I don't know, that maybe that'd be good for Ireland. But I think the biggest one would be um, the biggest one would definitely be Scotland. They share obviously they share a land border. There's what about huge Australia? Trade. What about Australia? New Zealand? Yeah, but that's I don't think they're nearly as integrated. It's not. I think it, that's mostly symbolic at this point. Belize, Grenada. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think this. I think Scotland's the big one. I don't know. I, I think the other ones are mostly like we like her. She we put her on our we put her on our currency. I don't think it's much more than that. Like Canada. But I, I think Scotland is much more economically integrated. I mean, Canada, basically, the, my understanding is, well, the, the Scots have, I need to learn more about this, Scots have representation in Parliament at the end of the day. The, the um, which parliamentary government here gets to decide, gets to make big decisions that affect Scottish citizens every day. That's not true of Canadian citizens. I think they saw that the connective tissue across the monarchy in the Commonwealth would start to fray after her loss. So what did they do? I don't think it's any accident that she died in Scotland. Yeah. I think she. Yeah. I think they strategically said, okay, she's not well, this might be it. We want to show our That's, affinity I've and read affection. That. She did love that place though. Oh, I, and it's a beautiful place. But if you look at her travel, she, she always said the queen needs to be, I think something along the lines of that the queen needs to be seen. It can't be a figment of pe people's imagination. And she used to go to all these places and she created she tremendous did. goodwill. She did. They do on those tours. But, you know, it's interesting at the top of this website, royal.uk, uh, some information on this website may be out of date following the recent announcement of the death of the queen. You think they could change their website real quick? They have stuff, they have a thing about the king and queen consort, but uh, they're keeping her up there. They're keeping her brand up there over uh, uh, King Charles. But it's a moment, I think it was consumer. Whenever whenever prices are raised, um, it's a, it's an opportunity. People rethink, or COVID was the mother of all rethink. People thought, okay, do I need to be buying this? Do I need to be approaching my life this way? I think her death will give a lot of these um, nations that were affiliated with the monarchy a chance to rethink their relationship. And I think a lot of them are going to decide just politely to say, we're done. Yeah. We're anyway, done. it really is an interesting time. You're, I think that's a good one. Do you have any, any others? No, I said that I thought inflation was going to fall as dramatically. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to England versus Germany at Wembley Stadium, which I'm excited about. I'm going to see Arsenal play Liverpool. Wow. When do you um, go to Italy? Go visit their uh, new, not for new, a while. Their new problematic gonna, prime minister. We're going to soak up all the great Premier League football first before uh, we head. Going to Going up the to your old homeland in Scotland. I love Scotland. I had I such am a good time. Going to Scotland. Yeah, I'm going to Scotland to see the Rangers play in a couple of weeks. Wow. So it's all around sports. Well. Good you know you. what it's all around, Kara? I have no interest in sports. My 12 and my 15-year-olds are football crazy. And my advice to any father is give up all notion that your kids are going to be engaged in the shit you're interested in. That's about yes. you. Being yes. a good dad is about leaning into what they're interested in. I and know. I just went to a basketball game tournament, the hoop tournament, whatever. I went to it all day Sunday, one day, the other day. Not all day, a big chunk of it. Um, I am very happy you're home. I'm very happy you're home. You were wandering around a little bit, but now I'm glad you're there. 
with your family. I got all, all pissed off. Some fancy friends of ours invited us to this black tie thing tonight, and they and and they said, "Oh, it's to benefit Amazon." And I'm like, "I am not moving to London to go to a, a fucking <laughs> fundraiser for Amazon. I hate Amazon." They're like, "No, no, no, the Amazon, Scott, oh. the Amazon." And I'm like, "Oh, sorry, never mind. I'm in. I'm in." I'm like, but "I'm I not going to a that, benefit I for hate Amazon." I that river for being named got, after the company. I, I got hate. so angry. I'm so stupid and so in my own world. I thought there was a benefit okay. for the e-commerce company in Seattle. Oh, They're like, "No, God. we're trying to save the Amazon, Scott." Go get a gin. Start yeah. start in on the gin. Yeah. Right. I'm wearing a kilt. Daddy's wearing a kilt tonight. All right, Bridget. Oh, God. Oh, Bridget Jones. I'm so happy that you're happy. I'm going to call you Bridget Jones. Go ahead and read us out, Bridget Jones. Okay. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Indertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Neil Saverio. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. A wonderful quote from Norman Cousins I stumbled on today. Life is an adventure in forgiveness. We're so in our own heads. When anyone's not nice to you or there's a perceived slight, imagine the struggles you're dealing with. They're dealing with those too. Life is an adventure in forgiveness. <laughs>